Welcome to the Desert City Church podcast. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are spending the summer in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a big word, but it simply means repetition of the law or repeating of the law. It is a book comprised of a series of sermons Moses gave the people of God before they were to enter the promised land. The people of God spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, a time of formation, identity, and unexpected lessons. These divine words come to us out of the wilderness. I'd like to read Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 7 and 9, 7 through 9. It says this, Be careful to follow every command that I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Sounds nice, sounds lovely. This is the promised land, and these are the words of Moses. Moses to the people of God, Uh, as they are getting ready to enter the promised land. And we've been talking about these words that are in Deuteronomy that come to us out of the wilderness. The people of God have spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and they have had all sorts of lessons. And now they're past that season, and they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, the land that has been promised uh, to them. And Moses is trying to prepare them. And he's talking about the different things that have happened in the wilderness. And we talked about how in Deuteronomy, what Moses does is he looks backward. He looks at the story, where they've come, and then he looks forward. And he talks about how the experiences they've had in the wilderness has shaped them and formed them to be a certain kind of people in the present and the future as they go into the promised land. But these people have just spent 40 years in the wilderness, this season, this dry season of dependency on God. And what we find is that all sorts of unexpected lessons come from the wilderness. And we've talked over the last six weeks about the unexpected grace of God that meets them in the wilderness, the unexpected provision of God for food and for water, the unexpected calling and identity given to them at Mount Sinai, the unexpected formation. All of this happens in the wilderness. In fact, when you see the the word wilderness in the original Hebrew text, the root of that word uh, means speak or word. And they had this understanding that in the wilderness, it's this place that God speaks. And one thing that that Moses has, has reminded the people of God is that sometimes in the most challenging seasons of life, God does his most significant work on our heart and on our soul. Out of the wilderness comes all sorts of these unexpected lessons. Moses is saying, remember what the Lord has done. In fact, Deuteronomy, what Deuteronomy means is it's this repeating of the law. It's this remembrance of this covenant that God establishes with his people in the wilderness. There's this 
important command to remember what God has done. We've been talking about some of those lessons that we experience in some of the hardest seasons of life, these wilderness experiences. Right now, Phoenix feels like a wilderness. We live in a desert, and it's completely dry. There's no water. It feels like a wilderness, a little bit, lots of heat. But as Moses looked back, he would also look forward and say, because of what God has done in the wilderness, we've been shaped to be a certain kind of people here and now and into the future. And so each week we've kind of looked back at these stories in Exodus, but then we've looked ahead to the time of Christ and how this story kind of culminates with this, this Savior that comes into the world, the Son of God. And all of a sudden these, these old stories take on this, this deeper meaning and understanding that there's something eternal happening, that we, we travel through life differently because of Christ. And today I also want to not just look back, but I want to look ahead. And I, what I want to do is look at this text in Isaiah where there's kind of like this echo of Deuteronomy chapter 8, and, and kind of unpack this a little bit. So as we, as we look ahead from Deuteronomy, we move forward maybe like at least 500 years, maybe even more than that, but at least 500 years, and there's this prophet named Isaiah that's writing to the people of God. We know that Isaiah is a major prophet, and, and the book of Isaiah is this fascinating book. It's very complex. Tradition kind of tells us that it's, it's from Isaiah. But you think, like, a lot has happened since entering the promised land for God's people. If at least 500 years has passed, think of what, what's happened in the last 500 years in our country. Well, there was nothing. There was no, at least no European kind of, like, influence here, right? It was, it was the native people that were living here. This would have looked completely different 500 years ago. A lot takes place in this time. And for the people of God, for, the, for the, the Israelites in this time, they've entered the promised land. They've kind of gone through this heyday. Is it getting darker in here? Or am I passing out? I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> wanted to make sure. Um, they've gone through this. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time that I've gone dark. So. <laughs> yes. We'll keep talking. So. Uh, a, lot, a lot has happened. They, they've entered the promised land. They've, they've had this kingdom. They've kind of peaked. And then they've forgotten all of the things that Moses said, don't forget when you enter the promised land. And they've become a very selfish people. They've kind of uh, sold out maybe to the culture. And what's happened is these kind of foreign invaders have come in and conquered them. And when Isaiah is writing, a lot of the people of God are living in exile. So in Egypt, they were in captivity. Now they're living in exile. They've been this conquered People And Isaiah is trying to give them a fresh word. Like, you've gone through a season of captivity. You've gone through a season of wilderness. You've, you've gone through a season of plenty. And now we're in this very odd season of exile where we've been conquered again. And these are the words that Isaiah brings for the people of God. He says this in Isaiah chapter 43. And this passage is uh, very important to me. It felt like even when we started this church, this was a meaningful passage. Isaiah 43, 16 through 19 says, This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. So as Isaiah starts talking, what is he drawing here? This, this story that he's drawing on is the Exodus story. He talks about that, that there was this time where, where God led you, there, led you through the sea, dried up the sea so that you could pass through it so that the captors couldn't follow you. You escaped. You were redeemed. This is what the Lord 
has done. Isaiah is drawing from this story of the Exodus, the wilderness, this reminder in Deuteronomy. Isaiah goes back with this reminder. But then Isaiah says this, Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. And now it springs up. Do you perceive it? Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Probably a very popular passage. If you've been around the church, you've probably heard this passage. It's an exciting passage. God is doing something new. But what's fascinating to me is Isaiah says, do not remember the things of the past. One passage, it says, forget, remember not what's in the past. Put it away. Set it aside. And you, you read that and, and you think about like what, what Moses says all throughout Deuteronomy is this remember. Remember what God has done. Remember our story. Remember how he's taken us out of Egypt. And, and, and then all of a sudden Isaiah is saying, remember not. Don't remember what happened. And, and if you're reading it like me, you're like, what? Why? Like, what are we, what are we supposed to do? Like, why, why is he saying to, to, to create this, this separation? And, and it's also interesting because... Isaiah goes to great lengths to remind the people in this passage of what their past is. And in fact, in Isaiah chapter 1, or chapter 43, verse 1, he talks about how God created you and formed you and redeemed you and named you and called you by name, going all the way back to Genesis. And then he talks about the story of the Exodus. He goes to great lengths to remind them of their past and then says, remember not the past. What's going on here? And what are we supposed to do? Just forget all the things that God has done. I was reading a, a, an interesting commentary. It was talking about, uh, one, one scholar said, maybe this is like uh, the book, Don't Think of an Elephant by George Lakoff. George Lakoff says he, he does this experiment. It's like the psychological experiment. And he recorded that when someone tells a listener not to think about an object, it frames the issue so that the listener now cannot avoid thinking about what you've been asked not to think about. So whenever he's asked not to think about an elephant, all the person was able to do was think about an elephant. And so maybe this is this lingui linguistic framing in this story where, where Isaiah very poetically is saying, don't, don't remember this, but he's actually saying, like, this is all you're going to be able to think about. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe not. We're not sure exactly what Isaiah is doing, but he's saying not to remember this, which is a very important story. And we've always heard, like, those who forget their past are doomed to repeat it, right? Or maybe Isaiah knows the way that humans think. And he's warning the people that are in exile that there's something about the past that you're holding on to that might actually hinder what God is doing here and now and in the future. Maybe he's using this as lingui ling linguistic framing, whatever that literary device is in poetry and storytelling. Or maybe what, what, what Isaiah is saying is this. He's saying, don't make the mistake of remembering the marvelous exile and exodus out of Egypt. Don't make the mistake of remembering that, but then forgetting that God still does marvelous things here and now. There's a tendency to, to remember things in the past that God has done, but then forget about the opportunity of the present and the opportunity of the future. This might be like the, the good old days syndrome. If we could just go back to that time in our family, there was, and we, we tend to remember things better than they, they really are. 
If we could just get back to this time when things were great, I just felt so connected to God at that point. I just felt like our family was at such peace. And if I could just go back, man, then I would be happy. This week I was hanging out over at Michael Buckmaster's house, and Tim Stansel came over, and uh, we were visiting in the evening. It was hot out. We were outside. He had just installed a new misters system, so we were kind of enjoying the new misters. And we were talking about our community. And here at Desert City, we, we have a pretty great mix of people. We have people from all over the place. A lot of them are back in the Midwest right now for the summer. Um, but we have people from kind of all over. But what's been interesting is I, I kind of, I grew up in this area. I went to high school here and have a lot of friends um, that have kind of stayed in the area. And a lot of them have kind of come to this community that, that we went to high school together. And so we were kind of going through the names. And Michael Buckmaster is someone I went to high school with. And, and we've had a lot of people um, from our high school start coming to Desert City. And, and Tim, Tim's kind of like listening to this story. And he's like, that's fascinating. You guys all, all knew each other. And then Buck had this brilliant idea to pull out his yearbook. And he's like, you got to see what all these people look like in high school, of course. <laughs> so Buck pulls out the yearbook. And like, we're, we're looking at all these pictures. And it's my senior photo. And I remember when I was like a teenager and seeing pictures of my parents when they're in high school in the 70s and thinking, what in the world were you thinking? Like, those styles are insane. Like, I can't believe you guys used to dress like that and wear your hair like that. That will never happen to me, because we're modern. And as Buck pulls out my senior photo, I look at it and realize, uh-oh, what was I thinking? I had bleached tips in my senior photo, wearing a tie. I had these bleached tips. It looked like I was on the way to a Smash Mouth concert. And I was like, what was I thinking? And we were like just cracking up. And Tim was like cracking up as we looked at all these photos of, of people in our community that are now adults and they're young. And at one point, as we were kind of like looking at all of these photos, Buck pulls out his phone and turns on The Time of Your Life by Green Day. And we just start like <laughs> busting out laughing. And it's, it's, it's so funny like to think back, like I'm one of those guys that probably peaked in high school. Like it, looking back, it's like, oh, those were the days, man. And, and, but here's the thing, that's all fun and stuff when you're in high school, but at some point, the older you get, it's not cool to talk about how cool you were in high school. <laughs> at some point, you become Uncle Rico, right? From, and, and it's cool to wear like a Letterman jacket in high school, but when you're 35 and you're wearing a Letterman jacket, people are like, what is wrong with you? Like, that was the, let it go. There was something there, like, what is going on psychologically that you think you've got to hold on to that? And I was just thinking about this, this, the good old days, and at some point, like, if we would look back and want to be the same person we were in high school and have these, these kind of glory days that we wanted to relive, people would be like, move on. Life is ahead of us. Those were great days, but move on. And I think the same thing happens in our walk with Christ sometimes. We have these glory days, these wonderful moments, and yes, they were wonderful, and yet there's something happening in the present. Your life now has just as much meaning and you have as much influence and chance to make a difference in the world here and now and in the future. And there's, we, we can fall prey to this idea of remembering the marvelous things that happened in the Exodus story and forgetting that God can still do this new work in our life here and now. I think for me too, like I, I spent so much of my high school days kind of like looking ahead to the next phase. I couldn't wait to get to college. I like couldn't wait to get out of the house and be my own person. And then I got to college and 
I fell in love with Marcy and I like, couldn't wait to get married and I couldn't wait to get to this next phase of life and, and start our family. And then at some point what happened is I stopped like, looking ahead to the next phase and I, stopped, I started looking backwards with this longing. And, and it, I, I realized like, just living in the present moment with what God has in front of me here and now became something that was so hard for me to enjoy and identify. And I think what Isaiah is saying here, too, is that there needs to be this, this holy, God-given, holy appreciation for the past and this holy anticipation for the future. And when we have this kind of mindset, we can live well in the present moment. We live well in the present when we have this holy appreciation for what happened in the past, the good and the bad. We can sort that out. We can understand uh, how that shaped us. We can celebrate the victories in this holy anticipation for what God is going to do. But we're fully present with what God is doing in this place at this time. We remember the marvelous things about the Exodus story, but we don't forget that those marvelous things can happen now in our life. We're not over the hill. We're not done. We have a future. The second thing I think Isaiah is trying to say is that don't assume that God's solutions for today's problems look like God's solutions for yesterday's problems. And as I say that, one thing to remind, and I think this is why Isaiah brings up the past, is he says the character of God doesn't change. Who God is, his character, that is something that is unchanging. But what we see throughout these stories is that his methods, the way that he works in the world, the way that he interacts with different cultures, different places, different times, he does what he wants. And sometimes we get so caught up thinking that God can only work in this way and we kind of box him in and then what we find is that God is working in a brand new way in a brand new area and it surprises us. My son Micah loves to read, which is exciting for me because I like to read and um, he's been reading uh, like the, 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 the Jesus Storybook Bible, the storybook for uh, uh, children. Um, he has like a, the, the comic book Bible, which is cool. Um, but he, he's like super into reading. And the other day I heard him talking to Ezra, our four-year-old boy, and he was talking about the story of Jesus. And he's like, I just read the wildest story. There was this man who was blind and he meets with Jesus. And he's like, Jesus did this weird thing. He spits in the in dirt and he makes mud and he puts it in his eyes. And Ezra was like, oh, that's disgusting. And Mike was like, I know. And, and, and all of a sudden he could see. And we start talking about that like, if you look at like the methods of Jesus, when he does these miracles, he never really does it the same. He always is doing things kind of differently as he interacts with people. He's pointing, pulling a coin out of a fish's mouth. He's, uh, he, I, there are all sorts of these, these miracles that Jesus does that just like blows the minds of the people that are experiencing it. And we see Jesus interact with people differently. The character of Christ doesn't change, but how he approaches each person each situation. He meets people where they're at. That looks different. And I think what can happen, especially around religious people, is we get caught up in this idea that God only works like this, and we forget the surprising creativity, the creator of the universe, who can work outside of the boxes that we put him in. And Isaiah is saying to the people, this is how it happened in the Exodus story, but God is doing something new here. 
And Isaiah is poetic, and you think of the imagery of this passage. He talks about how God, the people are camped out in front of this river, and they're trapped. And what does God do? He dries up the river, and they move through it. He dries up the sea, and they walk through it. And then Isaiah says, he's doing something new now. And he flips the imagery. He talks about the desert and the wilderness, and he says that God is bringing a stream, a flowing river to it. It's the opposite thing that he does to get them out of Exodus, where he dries up the river. The thing that's dry, the thing that's wet becomes dry. And this new thing, the thing that is dry, becomes flowing with water. And Isaiah is saying, God is on the move, and he's working. And don't be surprised if it's different than what happened last time. This God, this creative God, continually works. Do you not perceive it, that he's at work to be in tune with the newness of this season, to be in tune with what God is doing here and now, and it might surprise you. I think this is exciting for us um, as a church to have a holy imagination for what God can be up to, to have a holy imagination of there's something new happening that we get to be a part of here in Phoenix, Arizona, a city that's been around for maybe, what, 100 years, but really in the last 20 years has kind of taken on a brand new feel. God is doing something new through this community, and we get to be a part of it. One thing that I've learned is that when it comes to how I think God works, is that I expect God the way to act the way that I expect I expect God to act the way that I expect. And I'm always surprised when he acts differently. I want to live life with this holy imagination. I want to have a holy appreciation for the past, a holy anticipation for the future, and a holy imagination for the present. What is God doing? Maybe I should expect something new and, and, and different than what it has been in the past, but still good. Not because the past was bad but because God is on the move in a new way in this community. As a church, we are a part of kind of creating this new story. We're in tune with the heart of God. We get to help shape and mold who this community is going to be as the Holy Spirit guides us in this community. And then also individually, our lives, we wake up every morning with new mercies. We have this clean slate there's a newness that comes in life with Christ. There's a constant, this renewal where God says, whatever your situation is, I'm at work in it. Whatever your challenges are, I can create opportunities for it. Whatever the things that hinder you are, I can break them free. We have this holy imagination that this God who has created the world is in relationship with us, and because of that, we have endless possibilities. For our church, for our family, for us individually. Paul Tillich is this famous American theologian, and uh, he's written a number of great books, but wrote a book called The New Being, and it's this compilation of a bunch of his sermons, and, and one of the sermons in this book is called The New Creation. And Paul Tillich talks about when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to this story, this gospel message that we're all a part of and what God's doing in our life, he said, I think the whole thing can be summed up in two words. 
Two words. This is the story of God. New creation. There's something new happening in your heart. doesn't matter what your past is, what you've done, where you've been. There's a new creation that comes in this relationship with God that is found in Christ. This new creation. A couple of things. How then should we live? In response to what Isaiah is saying, that forget the past, God is up to something new, do you not perceive it? One of the things that we need to do is we need to look around with hope. Look around with hope. I wonder if we consider all of our relationships, all of our interactions, all of the things that annoy us about other people and think, is it possible that God can work in the situation? Are we hopeful? If we're the resurrection community, the resurrection people, we live life with hope. It's something that we're probably not very um, intentional about, but looking around with hope, approaching our experiences, every situation with hope. The second thing is to live life with anticipation. I know how often we wake up in the morning thinking that the God of the universe, the God who created all of this, I'm in communion with this being. The God that loved me so much, his son Jesus enters into the world and dies for me. I'm valued. Do I wake up with anticipation that that God wants to work in my life each day? That every moment is an opportunity for transformation, for something significant. We look around with hope and we live life with intentional anticipation. And finally, we let go of anything that hinders God's work in your life. God is up to something in this community. He's up to something in our families. He's up to something in us individually. Let us let go of the things that would hinder that work. The things that maybe it's clinging to something in the past. It's a season of life that we won't let go of. Maybe it's some sort of captivity that we're in that we need to just be broken free from. But let us let go of the things that hinder us from the new work that God is doing here and now. The man's going to come up, and we're going to close with the time of communion. And I wanted us to recite a, a, a scripture together as a community that's found in Habakkuk. And as the band comes up, I think that this, this passage of scripture is a good prayer for us. As we consider what God is doing in this place. We remember what we've learned in the wilderness experience, we know that God shows up and gives us all sorts of unexpected lessons. But as we marvel about the past, we don't forget what God is doing here and now. The Christian hope is that our future is going to be better than the way that God has worked in the past. And the way that God has worked in the past is pretty good. But our future is eternity. Our future is when everything is, that is broken, is restored and put back together. There's no more crying. There's no more tears. We have this thing that we look forward to. We're the people of the resurrection. In Christ, there's this reconciliation. And this future is bright and full of possibility. I wanted us to, to stand and recite this prayer. These words of Habakkuk. And if you can see it, follow along with me. It says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. 
in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. The fame of God, the deeds that he's done. We want to see something break free, something new here and now in this community. Each week, we close our time with communion. Communion is this sacred reminder of the work of God on the cross. It's something that's symbolic. It's something that's sacred. The communion consists of bread that's been broken. This bread represents the body of Christ, God incarnate that came down to this earth to do this work in our lives. There was work that was done on the cross that takes care of all of our ways that we get it wrong, all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of our iniquities. The body of Christ was broken on the cross. And we take this bread in remembrance of that sacred act. Then we take a cup of juice, we're reminded of the juice is the blood of Christ that washes away the dirt, washes away, it cleanses all of the things uh, that were wrong with us. We remember God's love in this act, and then we proclaim it as a church, that God is up to something new now. This God of the possibilities is on the move here and now. Today, as we move to communion, let's be reminded of God's love through the breaking open of his body, the pouring out of his blood. Let's proclaim it as a community, the body of Christ now here, that we go into the world with that same character of God, loving, redeeming, hopeful for what the future has. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Lord, we think, we're thankful for these ancient words written thousands of years ago. The words of Moses as he reminds the people of their story and, and prepares them for the future. The words of Isaiah. This prophet, Lord, that had this message from you. that encourage the people that there's this new season where you're at work. God, your character doesn't change, but you change us. You make us more like you. You make us new. Today, Lord, I pray that this message would just be something that is imprinted on our hearts. We live with hope, with anticipation, we let go of the things that hinder your work in our life. We come now to the table, Lord. We're reminded of your great love, how you've redeemed us. We give thanks, we proclaim it, we live it. In your son's name we pray, amen.